The book of Luke chapter 22. Book of Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. Again, we've been going through the book of Luke on a series going back to last February where we just take a little bit at a time each Sunday morning uh, and then also get together and visit about it on Wednesday night. Just learning from the scripture together, studying it together. And where we are in the story here of the book of Luke, remember Jesus came to earth and, and he grew in wisdom and knowledge. And then he began his ministry here on the earth, his ministry of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, uh, that it is available, that life in the kingdom is available and it was available to everyone who heard it proclaimed. And this put him at odds with some of the uh, authorities at that time. And he, he, he's had a few showdowns there with them. And we've seen that. Uh, as he turned his face towards Jerusalem, towards the holy city, uh, as he would begin his last week uh, leading up to the crucifixion. And he celebrated, as we read uh, last week, Passover with his disciples. And he told them that one of them was going to betray him. We know that the religious leaders were looking for an opportunity to kill him. And one of his disciples had agreed to betray him to those religious leaders. Very dramatic. Again, if it was a TV series, we'd be approaching the series finale. Maybe this would be the cliffhanger. But this has just happened and uh, he, he's told them this. And last week we talked about how the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. Who was the greatest among them? And what was Jesus's answer, right? You're not that great. You're not that type of great. The type of greatness you're seeking that the world seeks will leave you empty and lonely. But there's another path for you, a path you were built to walk on, and it's in the kingdom. And this is directly following that, what we're going to read first in verse 31. Jesus says to Simon, Peter specifically, he says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you even know me. And so he's speaking to Simon, to Peter, and he says, Satan has asked to have you, to sift you like wheat, to tear you apart. So look out. That's coming for you. He said, but I've prayed for you, what, that your faith would not fail. Now, we covered this passage back in November, and we said that pressure when it comes in life, because it's inevitable, we're going to have seasons and situations in life that put pressure on us. And everything can seem like it's all right and everything can seem like it's OK. But when the pressure is put on us, it reveals broken areas. Right. It shows us areas where we were weak, where we didn't realize we were weak. And as issues come up, that brokenness can come to the surface. And this is what Jesus is saying to Peter. Pressure is going to come on you in this next, these next few days, something you've never experienced before. It's coming, but I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And what was Peter's response? Peter said, Lord, no, no, no. I'm ready for anything. 
I'm ready for whatever. I'll go to jail for you. I wasn't right. But why would Peter think that? Why would he think that he was ready for anything? Well, think about the season that they had been enjoying. They've been with Jesus who had become the most famous person in the area. People are coming from all over to hear him speak. They said, nobody has talked like this man. The things that he's doing, the miracles that he's working are amazing. And they're right there beside him. They're right there beside him when he is going toe to toe with the religious leaders who were trying to discredit him and make him look bad. And he flipped it around. They couldn't get anything to stick to him. He's doing miracles that show his authority over nature, over demonic activity, over sickness and disease. He's doing these things. And just imagine what it would feel like to be right there beside him when all of this is going on. You would feel like a winner, right? So he's been going through this season where nothing has been going wrong. Everything's been going well because Jesus is there. Everything's going well. But what Jesus is telling him is life for you is about to increase in pressure. What's about to happen has never happened to you before. You don't know what to expect. And this is going to be tough on you. You're about to enter a season of personal difficulty, Peter, something like you've never seen before. The pressure is going to be dialed up. And when those types of things happen in life, we don't like it. When the pressure is put on, either through situations in life or circumstances that are beyond our control, we don't like how it feels. We don't welcome it at all because we're not ready for it. We're used to winning, right? As I was studying for this and kind of thinking through that idea that Peter's about to see a shift, it made me think about uh, when I played football in high school. And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, sure you did. Yeah, absolutely you played football. No, I really did. I uh, really did. Uh, I didn't say I was really good because obviously I wasn't any bigger than I am right now. Probably I was smaller. I was smaller. and I wasn't. Uh, it, but at least I wasn't very fast. So I wasn't very big or wasn't very fast. But one thing that, that happened that stuck out to me when I was in senior high, uh, there was a, a lot of success on our seventh grade football team and then on our junior high football team a couple of years behind my class. And the reason for that is there were at least two young men who, for whatever reason, ha had been held back a couple of years in school. So when they were playing football in the seventh grade, they were actually the age of our ninth graders. So they, I mean, they might have had, one of them had a beard, I think, in the seventh grade. <laughs> he might have driven to seventh grade, I don't know. But they were much older and much more mature. And not to mention that they, they were pretty good sized guys anyway. They were athletic. And, and so they're two years older than everybody else in the seventh grade. So they're faster. They're stronger. All they had to do was like just turn around and hand one of them the ball. And he just ran and nobody could stop him. And everybody's like, oh, they're so good. Oh, my gosh. They haven't lost a game. I was like, have you seen why this is a man out there? This is a grown up man. And it, and it continued on through junior high. You know, junior high is eighth grade and ninth grade. And so, again, when they were, you know, in, in the eighth grade, they were the age of the sophomore. So they're much more mature physically than the people they're going up against. So, you know what they were used to just winning. I mean, they were used to winning. And, and we knew that this was known. And they kind of, you know, they had a little swagger. 
about them because of it. Well, come our, it was about to be our senior year. It was spring football practice. So it was this time of year. And in spring football practice, the coaches do not care if anybody gets injured. Because you've got a whole summer to get everybody healthy for the fall. And so what that means is all the drills you do are live contact drills. I'm talking about there's helmets crashing together. Everything is live contact, just like a game on Friday night. We were running drills that for what I found out now, some of them are even illegal to run. I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about bull in the ring. Anybody ever play bull in the ring? Football in high school was terrible for a guy like me. You'd put a guy in the middle and they would just call out numbers and people would just come from wherever and just hit you. You'd have to be ready. It's illegal now in the state of Alabama. I was like, well, I guess it was pretty bad. So spring football practice, what my point is, it's intense. And what had happened was we're going to be seniors in this dynamic duo who had been in seventh grade football and junior high football and just putting people's lights out. Guess what? It's time to move up. They're sophomores now. Well, again, I wasn't very big. I wasn't very strong, but we had plenty of guys that were big and were strong and they were ready for the dynamic duo. When the drill started, you had some getting in line in a certain place like I want to go against him. Why? Because they wanted to show them that they weren't the biggest and they weren't the strongest on the field anymore. I remember being behind one of them. I mean, practice is over. We're walking off the field. We're walking back to the field house and he's kind of kind of, you know, he's hurting. He was hurting a little bit. And a guy who was with me, he said, hey, hey, this ain't, uh, this ain't seventh grade, is it? It's like, I know, I know it's not, I know. But, but my, my point in telling that story is to, to emphasize what Peter would have been feeling. I mean, he was the big guy on the seventh grade football field. Everything was going well. They had been winning. There was no pressure. Everything was going great. And so he felt like he was ready for anything. That's what he told Jesus. He said, I'm ready for anything. And then Jesus is looking at him and Jesus knows you're, you're really not. You're not. What, what's about to happen, what's about to be dialed up is something that you have never experienced before. And what we want in life, what we think we want is to be the older kid at the seventh grade level. We want to be the one who's able to be playing down and dominating the competition. We want to be dealing with nothing serious in life so that we can crush it. Right. But that's not how life works. We had the babies up here right now. They're they've got, you know, two teeth between the two of them, baby. So they're so they're eating baby food and milk. That's what they're eating. Right. But slowly and surely their parents are going to introduce new things. You haven't had this before. This is going to be a little bit different. This is going to be harder for you to chew. It's going to be a challenge for your stomach, everything to, to work it through the, the first time. But, but we bring them along because if they were still eight, nine, ten years old and just eating baby food and milk, that means there's something wrong. Right. We're not moving up. We need to be encountering that difficulty so that we get better. The same thing that happens with uh, knowledge. I mean, when you graduate from you know, ninth grade to 10th grade, you go from ninth grade math to 10th grade math. You're not still doing fifth grade math. There's a stretching that's happening every year. You're being challenged a new way every year to bring about growth. If you don't do that, you don't grow in knowledge and responsibility and in wisdom, then you'll never be independent. 
If you're always relying on someone to do the things for you that are tough so that you never have to do them, you'll never be able to do anything. And we see that in culture kids that, you know, have everything done for them and then they get into their 20s, late 20s, and they can't even make a doctor's appointment for themselves, but they're great on call of duty. They have thousands of followers on Instagram, but they don't know how to handle the basic pressures that come with adult life because, it, because we left them at that easy level. We just always want you to win. We never want you to feel that pressure. We never want you to feel that constriction. And what was happening with Peter, it was like, hey, you won at the last level. Everything went well. Guess what? Life has another level after that. It's another level after that, and the difficulty is going to be increased. Jesus is telling him, Peter, life is about to punch you in the face. You're about to encounter difficulty you've never had before. It's the evil one. He said there's actual evil in the world, and it's coming for you. It wants to have you. Scripture used terms like it's crouched at the door waiting to attack you. But Jesus said what? I've prayed for you. That your faith would not fail. That even in the season of personal difficulty, of challenge, even pain and confusion, as that's coming, that your faith wouldn't fail. He knew what he would need to get through that season of personal difficulty. Let's look at verse 35 where it continues on. He, he, he turns from Peter and he's, he's talking to all of them now. He's talking to the group now. And he says, he also said to them, when I sent you out without money bag, traveling bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Not a thing, they said. Then he said to them, but now whoever has a money bag should take it and also a traveling bag. And whoever doesn't have a sword should sell his robe and buy one. For I tell you what is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was counted among the lawless. Yes, what is written about me is coming to its fulfillment. Lord, they said, look, here are two swords. He said, that's enough. He says, that's enough, he told them. So he, he references when he sent them out to minister earlier on in the book of Luke. You remember that? He sent, the two, he sent them out in groups of two, and he said, don't take anything with you. You just go. Just the two of you, just go. Don't take any. Thing. And it taught them to be reliant on him. And they experienced the goodwill of people as they went out. People were like, hey, these are guys that came out from Jesus. And, and he gave them authority to do works like he was doing works. And so they were well received. They, they, when they came into a town, he said, somebody's going to receive you. Somebody's going to feed you. Somebody's going to give you what you need. He's like, do y'all remember when that happened? You remember when everybody liked you? Do you remember when we were in that season where everybody celebrated what we were doing? And they're like, yeah, that's right. It was good. He's like, that's going to change. There's a shift happening and there's going to be a change that takes place. And you're going to need to be ready for no one to help you. You're going to need to be ready for no one to give you any shelter. You're going to need to be ready for no one to give you help or aid. He says, what is written must be fulfilled. And he quotes Isaiah chapter 53, where he says, he, the one who's prophesied to come, which we know is Jesus, he must be numbered with the lawless. I I, they help. No, no, I take him out. I love it when they help me preach. Get him. And sometimes they let me know when I've been preaching too long. 
So he says, you're going to be numbered with the lawless. People's opinion of me in culture is about to change. And because you're with me, same thing for you. When you go out, you're not going to be a celebrity anymore. You're not going to be lauded anymore. You're going to need to take your own stuff with you. You're going to need to be prepared to deal with no one helping you. At minimum, this was a way of him talking about the difficulty ahead. Have you ever been talking about a task with somebody, maybe something you were going to do at work, something that needed to be done? And they said, tell you what, you better pack a lunch. Right. We know what that means, don't we? This is going to be tough today. We're not leaving. We're staying. We're hooked in on it. You better pack a lunch. It's going to be a full day. And that's what he's telling them right here. He said, when you go out, you better have what you need because it's going to be tough. It's about to get really, really difficult. Really difficult. And, and parents, new parents, we learn this, don't we? The new baby comes, everybody comes to visit when they're really tiny, and then they all go home. And it's just you. And sometimes it gets really bad. <laughs> I remember there were times Kelly and I would just look at each other and I would know, ain't nobody else coming. Nobody else is coming to help deal with this. I sat down one time when we still had an Arby's here in town. We had a big Arby's dinner. We went and got it. It was a treat because Arby's was high. That's probably why they're not here anymore. <laughs> but I sit down. We're in the living room. I've got my Arby's. We're watching TV. And I'm just about to dig into this delicious roast beef sandwich. And I think it was Caleb. Caleb's in one of those little uh, saucers. Not a walker, but the thing where they could kind of turn around and look. They couldn't walk around in it, but he's right there. And he's, he's looking at us and he's all smiling. And then he turns around to face the TV and all up his back is some terrible stuff. <laughs> terrible stuff. And it was one of those moments where we just kind of look at each other and go, ain't nobody coming to help. We've got to set the Arby's down and take care of this business right here. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to deal with it. Somebody's got to. And guess what? Ain't nobody there but you. Right? You have that in the middle of the night when they make that noise that'll wake any parent up out of a dead sleep. That, and you're like, oh, no. And you're standing in your bathroom at three o'clock in the morning doing something you never thought you would do. And that's showering off the comforter on your bed. Again, one of those feelings of ain't nobody coming to help me do this. This is a season of difficulty that I had not expected, right? And that's what he's telling them is that, look, guys, it's going to be tough and nobody's going to come in to help you. What you're going to have is what you have. And we, we hear that in life. And again, we don't, we, we don't like the sound of it. We, we like to walk in those times of ease because when things are easy, it doesn't require much personal preparation, Right. It's a lot easier when you don't have anything that relies on you, anything you're responsible for to just roll through the day and feel like you're crushing it. It's easier to walk without responsibility. But anytime you have it and the pressure's on, it's going to require you to be prepared personally, because when those difficult times come, you better be prepared mentally, physically. You better have what you need. And that's what he's telling them is you need to be prepared. You need to be ready because those people that thought you were awesome, they're about to turn against you. Why? Because you run with me. The people that used to celebrate you and think you were really cool because you were running with me. Guess what? I'm going to be numbered amongst the lawless and you're numbered with me. 
And that's something we need to take serious as we see the way the world is moving and how it references believers in Jesus Christ. You better be ready. You better be ready because the people that used to like us, they're not going to like us anymore. And we got to be ready for that season of difficulty. Jesus quoted Isaiah 53, the prophecy about him, where it says there, he willingly submitted to death and was counted among rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for rebels. And the guys here, they still don't understand. You know, he's trying to tell them how tough it's going to be and what's going to be required. And they go, we got two swords. Look, we got two. And then it, what does he say? That's enough. And some people have said, well, I think he's saying that we should all have at least two swords. Maybe he was. I think more than what he's saying is like, that's enough. Let's just go. Let's go. Because I don't think y'all are hearing what I'm trying to say. He told them corporately as a group, there's going to be pressure on you because of me. Individually, down to each man, each person, there's going to be pressure on you because of me. You need to be ready. And these are dire warnings that he gave them. And, and what does Jesus do and say next? What he does is he models for us and he shows us how we walk through those seasons of pressure and of difficulty. Look at verse 39. Verse 39, it says, He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, Pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. So what he exhibits and models for us is the prescription for dealing with life when it gets chaotic, when it gets turbulent, when it gets difficult, even evil, how to deal with it. He goes to pray in the garden. We see him surrender to the will of God and trust in God's work and plan. It says he made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives. This was something he did regularly in the evening. He would go and get alone and pray and spend time with God. This is, this is the time where a fight is about to break out. And look what Jesus did. He, he picked the ground that he would fight on and he picked the way that he would do it. We get to do that in life. You can deal with life on your own at your house without anybody else there and give that your best go. You can give it your best shot. But when things get tough, it's not going to be enough. He went to the garden where he could commune with the father. You get to pick the ground you fight on and you get to pick who you fight beside. You get to pick whether or not you want to be alone or you want to be amongst others who are in the fight with you. And he models for us that we should have practices and disciplines that are well-worn paths of relationship. We need to have those connections in our life that when times get tough, immediately we gravitate to and that it be the right thing. 
Because otherwise we're going to drift towards the wrong thing. It needs to be a well-worn path of relationship. So when stuff gets real, we don't have to wonder what we should do first. Because if we're wondering what to do first, our first reaction isn't going to be good. Because our bends, what we would normally be inclined to, is not going to get us the right solution. Look what he told them to do. He said, pray that you may not enter temptation. And what he's saying there is when you meet the test, the test in life to see which one you're going to do. Are you going to stand? Or are you going to run when you meet the test that you won't give in to temptation? to turn and run. That when the pressure's on, your faith would not fail. That when you have a choice to stand in faith or run away, that you'll stand and learn to stand even more firmly. And again, he models it for us because he's dealing with this even in his life. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is dealing with this moment even in his life. Where he comes to the Father and he says, if this cup, this judgment, this that I'm about to endure and go through can in any way be done another way, please take it away. If this can go down another way other than what you've shown me it's going to be, please let's do it that way. But nevertheless means what I'm about to say weighs a whole lot more in my mind and in my heart than what I just said. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He said, if you can take this cup from me, but if nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So when he faced that temptation to either shrink back from what God had, had, had put before him to do, I can shrink back from that. Or I can push in to knowing that God's will being done in my life is better than my will being done in my life. He said, nevertheless, he didn't shrink back from the cup. What he shrank back from was the idea of doing something other than the will of the Father. The temptation for us is to shrink back and turn to the wrong thing. Turn the wrong way. And we see that this wasn't just about people. You see supernatural things happening even in this moment. It says an angel came and comforted him. There is spiritual warfare going on in this moment. There's spiritual warfare that goes on in these moments in our life. Why? Because there's a draw to give in to temptation, but then there's a spirit of God on the inside of you that will propel you forward if you don't lose heart. It says he was in anguish and he was in pain and there was fervent prayer to the father, both for him and for those that were with him. And then it says he got up from prayer and he went and he found them. What were they doing? They were sleeping. Why does it say they were sleeping? Because they were exhausted by grief. Anybody ever felt that? Everybody ever felt exhausted by grief where the pressure has just come so much against you that you couldn't keep your eyes open anymore, that it just physically and mentally and emotionally exhausted you, right? We felt that. What did Jesus tell them? Stand back up. Get back up and pray. What? That you wouldn't fall into temptation. Now's not the time to quit. Now's not the time to give up. Stand back up.
whether it's personal difficulty or pressure like he talked with Peter, whether it's corporate difficulty and pressure coming against a group of us, coming against all of us for the cause of Christ when we experience it. We can pray for it to end. That's fine. We can say, Lord, please remove this. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? He said, if there's any other way this can go down, please let's, let's do it that way. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So we pray first for it to go away. Often it doesn't go away. And what should we do then? We should pray that we wouldn't fall into temptation. He's praying for us. Notice that Jesus was praying for Peter even when Peter thought he could crush anything. Peter's like, I'll go to jail for you. I'll go to death for you. I'm not scared of any of them. And Jesus said, I'm praying for you. That your faith wouldn't fail. He knows what we're going to need even before we know that we need it. And, and that the fact that he prayed that his faith wouldn't fail. Faith is the way we see what God sees. We see life the way he sees it. We see truth the way that he sees it. We see lies the way that he sees them. That's why he prayed that our faith would not fail. And if we've prayed for it to go away and it doesn't, then we have to ask God, Lord, what are you wanting to teach me in this? And or what are you wanting to release through me in this? Right. Some of it we need to be stretched. We need to grow. That's how life works. We encounter difficulty. We, we, we endeavor through it and we grow through it. And then also maybe he puts you in that difficulty so that you could be the change in the situation so that you could be the one to, that through which change was released. Spiritual authority that he had been teaching and telling them and exhibiting to them. Maybe you're here so that you can grow through it. Maybe you're here so that you can help others grow through it. Lord, if this isn't going to pass for me, then I want to make the most out of what I'm in and not keep wishing for it to go away. What can I learn through it? What do you want to release through me in it? Because the challenges that come and the pressure that comes give us the ability to gain wisdom and experience and stamina that we would not have otherwise gained. The stretching today prepares us for what we'll need in strength tomorrow. The next step in the rung of life. Challenges create opportunities to learn and grow and increase. Again, just like we do with our kids, we give them responsibilities before they're completely ready for them. Why? Because if we don't, they'll never be completely ready for them. There needs to be some growth. There needs to be some stretching there. There needs to be some challenging there so that they can grow and be ready for the next step. We as parents wouldn't keep that from them because we want them to be able to grow into independence. And if we would do that for our kids, wouldn't he not do the same thing for us, his children? Lord, what are you wanting to teach me in this? What are you wanting to release through this? If you look at what was about to happen here, you understand why there was evil coming against it. Jesus was about to lay down his life as a sacrifice for sinners, to free them from sin and death. And the disciples were about to be part of the launch of the church of Jesus Christ. That he said, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it was going to spread from an upper room with tens of people in it to immediately become a group of thousands and eventually reach across the world, even to where we are here in North America. So you see how pivotal a moment it was in history 
It's easy to see why evil would be collapsing in on them and trying to get them to give up and trying to get them to stop. And if they had been on their own, they would have definitely given up and they would have definitely stopped. But he said, I'm praying for you, that your faith won't fail, that the seed of the kingdom that I've planted in your heart, you won't cast it aside, but you'll hang on to it through difficulty and trial so that you can endure today that you'll encounter tomorrow. That what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. So when we face difficulty, when we face trouble, know that he's praying for us, just like he prayed for Peter. It says that he's by the throne of God making intercession for us. He's praying for you, what, that your faith wouldn't fail. Not that it gets easier for you, but that you get bigger than what you're dealing with through him, by faith. They went from arguing who was the greatest to being exhausted by grief. And we can feel that. We can feel like we're rocking the whole world when we're two years older than the other seventh graders and we're winning at everything and it's going well. And then life throws us a challenge that's bigger than what we were, bigger than what we can handle. And we have a choice. Do I run from it? Do I run back into myself or do I press in knowing that he is on the other side, that he's in it with me? Amen. He tells us what we'll face. He shows us what to do and what we'll need as we go through it. And we know, just like with them, they didn't know what all was going on. But when they got onto the other side of it, they were like, oh, this makes sense. This was about to be a turning point for the entire world. It makes sense that it was a little bit difficult. It makes sense that it was troublesome to get here. But we want to remember what he said, and I'm closing with this. He said, pray lest you fall into temptation. The temptation to believe that he's not good, that he doesn't do good, that he's not there, that he doesn't care. That's the temptation that you can fall into when things get difficult and you feel like you need to take it up yourself and answer it in whatever way you see best, which is always bad for us. We've got plenty of history to point to it in our own life and in the life of anybody ever who's lived. That's the temptation. When it gets tough, are we still going to believe he's good? Are we going to believe he cares for us? Are we going to believe that he's in it with us and that he has a purpose for us on the other side? That he is our ever-present hell in time of trouble. And remember what he told Peter. He said, when you make it through this, come back and strengthen your brothers. When you make it through this, he's already putting it out there. You can get through this. When you get through this, there are others that are going to need your encouragement. There are others that are going to need your support. There are others that are going to need you to tell them, don't give in to the temptation. Pray that you wouldn't enter temptation and hang on to Jesus as he hangs on to you. Going through what we go through strengthens us so that we can make it through the next thing, but also we can help people who are coming along behind us that are about to go through what we just did. He said, when you've turned back, when you've come back to rights, because he knew Peter was going to have trouble. He even told him, he said, buddy, before the alarm clock goes off in the morning, you're going to have denied me three times. What are you talking about? But he said, when you come back from that, because he, he's already telling Peter, you're going to give it to temptation. So if you've given it to temptation, you're in good company because Peter did too. He said, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. And that's what the church is all about. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, thank you. Thank you that you, you don't leave us in this life without telling us how it's going to go. You tell us there's going to be challenges. You tell us there, there, there are going to be difficulties and they're going to be much bigger than we are. But I thank you that you're praying for us, that our faith would not fail. That we would be disciples of Jesus Christ who have unfailing faith, that our sight would stay on you, would stay on the truth and not turn from it to temptation, to believe what the world would tell us, what the evil one would tell us, the lies that would come up about you and about what you have for us in this life. I thank you that you don't leave us alone in our trouble. You don't leave us alone in our tribulation and our trials, but you're there with us, encouraging us and strengthening us from the inside out. Christ, you are in us. You are the hope of glory, the hope of reaching the other side of whatever troubling situation may be facing us. I thank you that we won't be prideful on the days that we win and we won't be downcast on the days when everything seems to be coming against us because whichever one it is, you're with us. God, thank you for the stretching. Thank you that we can handle more today than what we can handle yesterday because you're faithful and you're good. I thank you that you, that, thank you, that you strengthen us so that we can stand and having stood, we can be an encouragement to others. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't enter temptation. We walk those well-worn paths of relationship just like Jesus did to the Mount of Olives. Have those things in our life, those disciplines, those practices so that when everything else gets chaotic, we can find order in you. And that order moves out from us into the chaos around us and reorients things around your truth. Thank you for how much you love us. God, as we get ready to go from here today, I thank you that we go in peace and unity together with each other. Protect us. Keep us safe. I thank you for the special time with these babies today. I thank you that you watch over them just like you do us. Bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and give them peace. We love you and we thank you for your goodness in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.